Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. Thanks for listening, and remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. For the fifth year in a row, health care is the top concern for Americans, trumping worries about terrorism, even gun violence. According to a new Gallup poll, 55% of Americans say they worry a great deal about the availability and affordability of health care. And here to discuss the outlook for the health care industry is Susan DeVore. She is CEO of Premier, a performance improvement company in the health care space. And Susan, thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you, Alexis. Most recently, we saw Congress fail to attach payments to insurers as part of the $1.3 trillion spending bill. Those payments were meant to financially stabilize the health care exchanges. What are the repercussions? What will this do to premiums? You know, the expectation is that it will cause premiums to go up, uh, and that won't be good for consumers. It may also lead to insurers continuing to drop out of the exchanges, which will make access to health care a challenge for consumers. You know, at Premier, we are working every day to figure out how to help healthcare systems make healthcare more affordable, make it more accessible, make it more clinically effective. And so I think it is going to be a challenge. You work with 76% of the hospitals in the country, 150,000 other providers of care. What are you telling them? What is your advice as to how to navigate this changing landscape in healthcare? So I think what Premier would say and do with our healthcare systems is say, <clears throat> don't wait for government to fix this. Don't wait for insurance companies to fix this. You need from the inside of the healthcare system to figure out how to lower your cost, be transparent with your cost and your outcomes and your uh, services, be convenient to consumers, um, connect their data, connect their care delivery so that it's a coordinated healthcare system. And that's what we do every day is help them lower their cost, improve their quality, and take care of their populations. And I would imagine technology plays a big part in that. You, one of the trends you say you see going forward is the digitization uh, in the healthcare industry. Explain what you mean by that. You know, everybody uh, is using digital uh, everything. You know, you watch Netflix, so you don't have to, to watch commercials. Um, and so consumers and patients are not going to tolerate not having the availability of their information and having it be connected. And so Premier works a lot uh, in D.C., actually, in moving forward interoperability provisions and laws and regulations so that healthcare patients can actually get access to all of their data. Um, and it's a big challenge in healthcare, a bigger challenge in healthcare than it is in other industries. And, and why is that? I mean, it does appear as though sometimes they're lost in the Stone Age, the healthcare industry. When you look at so many other industries that have been touched um, and revolutionized by technology, it seems like healthcare is resistant to do so. Well, healthcare has been a very cottage industry and a fragmented industry. And so there are a lot of pieces and parts. And part of what the Affordable Care Act attempted to do and continues to attempt to do is to create payment models and delivery models that incent the coordination of care. And if you actually have the right incentives for coordinating care, technology will follow because you can't coordinate care without the technology. There are some vendors in the, in the space who uh, in some ways have engaged in activities to make it more expensive or more difficult to connect the data. 
And I think the consumer voice will will change that and the policy activities will change that. Do you think the incentives are there right now? And, and what should the incentives be if they're not? I think the incentives, um, and at Premier, we work a lot with these new value-based payment models. So if you incent a healthcare system and physicians and the consumer to actually um, have a bundle, uh, a bundled approach or an approach that takes care of you and me for our whole lives, um, then you have the incentives aligned and you have everybody focused on how do I deliver the best care clinically and how do I do it at the most affordable cost? I would imagine money is a big incentive too. And so is that a sticking point here? Do, do the providers believe they're not being paid enough as an incentive to adopt this kind of technology? You know, I do think that um, the incentive structure doesn't have enough of the uh, risk-reward equation in place, uh, meaning that providers often have to go at risk for Medicare populations, Medicaid populations. They have to take everyone into their emergency rooms. Um, and yet uh, some of those state and federal programs don't cover the cost of health care. And so they're faced with significant cost pressure at the same time that they have to serve the full population. And so there's a long way to go to, to really take these healthcare payment models uh, to incentivize lowering costs and improving quality and safety. So I guess what you're talking about is removing some government burdens right. that sort of stand in the way. What are some of those burdens? I mean, are they Medicare and Medicaid? There are a lot of regulatory uh, burdens in both the Medicare and Medicaid programs. Um, things like you have to have a three-day hospital stay <clears throat> before you go to a nursing home. Things like not paying for telehealth, which we all know uh, will lower the cost of health care. Uh, so there are a lot of regulatory things. And I do think that the Trump administration and Alex Azar, the HHS secretary, I think um, are focused on removing regulatory hurdles. There are also a lot of regulatory hurdles that, that don't allow different parts of the healthcare system to coordinate the care. And so I think part of why we're seeing uh, mergers and consolidation in healthcare is that regulatory hurdles get in the way of being able to coordinate care, so people are coming together in order to coordinate care. And are they coming together also just because there are behemoths out there in terms of drug pricing? When you have to go up against an Amazon that has the muscle to lower prices such that they're going to squeeze your margins if you were to match those prices, I mean, is, is something like an Amazon um, scaring parts of the healthcare industry? So I would say if you look at the healthcare industry and you look at the size of insurance companies, these are $100, $200 billion companies. If you look at the size of pharma, med device kinds of companies, many of these companies are huge, $100, $200 billion companies. If you look at a healthcare system, even the largest ones are $10, $20, $30, $40 billion. Um, and so you do have uh, sort of the size and scale of the insurance industry and the supplier industry at a place where you have to really figure out how you can coordinate the care in a healthcare system at a size and scale that you can actually create friction with insurance companies and friction with supplier companies to get to lower and more transparent pricing. Okay, so these companies are trying to scale up. We saw CVS, Aetna, uh, we see Cigna, Express Scripts, uh, recently GlaxoSmithKline buying Novartis out of their consumer healthcare joint venture. 
you know, as a consumer of healthcare, which we really all are, seeing these deals seems a little unsettling. What does it mean for me? Because to the layperson, they may see this and go, it means there's not a lot of competition and not a lot of choice. You know, it's a great question. I think for consumers, what it means is you need somebody in there helping make this healthcare system more effective so that those large-scale insurance companies and supplier companies um, can't actually prevent you from getting affordable, cost-effective care. And so Premier helps healthcare systems aggregate their buying so that it's not a healthcare system buying by itself, but it's that 76% footprint aggregating their spend and then having the size and scale to negotiate with a supplier a better price. Mm -hmm. Uh, Having the size and scale to negotiate with an insurance company how they're going to be paid for the services that they're delivering. And so I really think that for the consumer, you need uh, folks like Premier who, who sit inside the healthcare systems, really helping them lower the cost of care and helping them make sure that the quality of care and the safety and the outcomes are commensurate with the cost. You get some great results when it comes to pricing within uh, Premier. How do you do it? What could the federal government learn from that? And and how, how much are generic drugs part of that equation? So generic drugs are a very big part of that equation. And um, for, for the portfolio of products that Premier helps healthcare systems buy, we've been able to keep the inflation in the cost of those products to sub 1%. Wow. So everybody talks That's a lot impressive. about the inflation in healthcare and all of the challenges in healthcare. When you aggregate the buying like we do, and when you work with healthcare systems to make choices and to drive a formulary, you actually can effectively lower the cost of healthcare. Uh, where, you're, where you have a problem is where you don't have enough suppliers. So if it takes the FDA too long to approve new generic suppliers, and you don't have enough, you can't create as much friction. Mm -hmm. And so we're all about policies that speed up the FDA, policies that um, increase the number of competitors, uh, and then we can bring all the power of our data and our negotiation to to lower the price of those products. So in this equation, do the suppliers continually get squeezed? What's in it for them? You know, for suppliers are very focused on continuing to be able to innovate and spend the R&D to create the fantastic medicines that cure, you know, that cure illness, right? Um, and so they need to be able to do that. And at the same time, um, they have patent protection for a pretty long period of time. So if you could reduce the level of patent protection, you could get to generics more quickly, you could get to more suppliers in the marketplace, you'd have healthier healthier supply chains, and you'd have healthier markets. But what would that do to those people out there who are coming up with these drugs? Where is the incentive for them if you're going to say, look, we're going to have to shorten the lifespan of your patent because we need generic drugs on the market? Well, I think for them, they're going to have to make sure they have efficiencies in their in their processes as well. And I think if you get to um, a risk-based contract, one of the things that we're working with a variety of suppliers on is how do you go at risk for the cost of that product? If that co- if the cost of that product is, you know, very expensive, um, how can you prove it'll reduce complication rates, or that I won't have to be readmitted to the hospital, or that I'll have a better outcome because of this new new drug? So they need to spend the money on R and D and innovation, but they also need to prove 
uh, the efficacy. Healthcare is one of the very few industries that innovation always makes the cost of products go up. Mm -hmm. In most other industries, innovation brings the cost of products down. And in healthcare, it doesn't work that way. And we have to create risk-based models so that it will work more that way. One of the things that uh, President Trump's health czar wants to do, he talks a lot about patient autonomy. Uh, Sounds great on paper, but what do providers need to do? How are you helping them navigate that to, to make it the new norm in the industry? So Premier works with, as I said earlier, a huge footprint of providers of all kinds. And I think that what we're doing is taking all the data that these providers have, and they all come from different source systems. We're normalizing it, standardizing it, sending it back to them so they know how they're doing. Healthcare is not as local as it used to be. People are being compared against national standards, national benchmarks. And so we put all of that data in the hands of the healthcare systems who can put that data in the hands of consumers and not only their own electronic health record data, but actually data that indicates comparatively how their health system is performing from a cost, quality, safety, and outcomes perspective. I want to talk to you about the opioid crisis in this country right now and what it is costing. The cost associated with uh, treating people who are addicted to opioids is astronomical. It is. Uh, And this is a huge challenge for the country, but it's a challenge that has um, multi-pronged responsibility. Um, So opioid deaths have quadrupled since 1999. Um, I actually chair a group of multidisciplinary parts of the healthcare sector that are creating a roadmap for what we need to do about this. So insurance companies need to not require you to be on an opioid for 12 months before you have surgery. You know, they're Mm -hmm. attempting to keep you from the high-cost surgery, but it's creating this other problem. Uh, Distributors need to and wholesalers need to make sure that the supply chain and the information about where the drugs are going and who's using them, um, they need to make that available. Providers, physicians need to really help consumers understand the safe use of opioids, alternative uh, pain management techniques. And so this is a multi-pronged, and then you have the whole enforcement, you know, and other uh, sort of educational things that can happen. Uh, but this is a big challenge, and, it, and it's going to take all of us working together to solve it. What role does the government play in, in trying to wrap their hands around this crisis? Because we know President Trump came out recently to speak about it. He, we thought we were going to get a comprehensive plan, and a lot of critics have come out to say that what he offered up wasn't realistic. He wants the death penalty for drug dealers. I mean, what's your take on that? So Trump went sort of down the path of enforcement and, and, and punishment. Um, we actually at Premier think this is about education, about training physicians, about incentives and in insurance, about reporting and technology that will actually um, uh, show where the activity is happening. And all those things are probably going to have a bigger effect on solving this crisis than just pure enforcement or punishment. What do you see as one of the biggest headwinds in 2018 for the healthcare industry? 
I think one of the biggest headwinds in the healthcare industry is the continuing cost challenge. Mm-hmm. I mean, healthcare is just um, not affordable. It's not transparent yet. There still are quality, safety, and outcomes challenges. We need these new payment models to be in place that incent the right behaviors. We need consumers to have information in their hands. We need healthcare systems to be able to connect the data. And, and Premier spends every day saying, how can we get more data in the hands of the healthcare system? And how can we aggregate the work of these thousands of providers to do this more efficiently? If healthcare is still the number one concern for Americans five years running, do you think it's going to play a big role in the upcoming midterm elections, especially if the timing is such that we start to see healthcare premiums rise just in time for those elections? I do think that um, it will continue to be a big issue. And I think in some ways we lost 2017. Uh, because we lost it to political debate. So I think that consumers are not interested in political debate, even though it's an election year. I think they're interested in let's move forward the changes to the healthcare delivery system. Let's move forward these new models of payment. Let's move forward releasing some of these regulatory hurdles. So I think what consumers would like to see in 2018 in the discussion of health care is what are we actually doing to move it forward, not let's debate whether we need the Affordable Care Act anymore or not. Let's end on an up note. What, what positive things are happening in the industry this year and in the next few years? The positive things in the healthcare industry to me are we are uh, enabling the consumer. The consumer is getting more involved in their health care through these health savings accounts and high-deductible health plans. I think we have a new HHS secretary who will be very aggressive in moving forward these new payment models. I think health care systems are coming together in their local markets and nationally so that they have all the pieces so that they can coordinate the care. And I'm very encouraged uh, by all of that. I think that I think that will lead to lowering costs and it'll lead to better outcomes. Well, we hope to. And thanks for all the work you do at Premier. Susan Devora, CEO of Premier, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and share this podcast. And remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode.